Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA. Wes Goldberg here with David Ramil recording on a Monday night. We'll get to the drama in Portland and look ahead to tonight's Eastern Conference Finals matchup. But we start in Phoenix, where the Clippers beat the Suns 116 to 102. Paul George scored 41, including 30 in the second half. And Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris added 23 and 22 apiece. And the Clippers stay alive in the Western Conference Finals and pull the series to 3-2 heading back to L.A. David, what to you was the key factor in this Clippers win? Well, I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? It was Paul George. Uh, it was interesting to see how the broadcast made it seem that George wasn't you know, aggressive enough in the first half. And I, I think some of the more upset Clippers fans may have agreed with that assessment. But it seemed to me anyway that he was just kind of picking and choosing his spots, kind of gauging when to really take over the game. And certainly that was the case in the second half. 15 of 20 from the floor, 8 of 8 from the free throw line, 41 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists. The total package, rebounding actively, drawing fouls, making plays, knocking down big shots at just the right moment. So I think it's pretty clear that George's impact was felt immensely, and he was the the one who saved the game for the Clippers. There's no doubt, and you mentioned him saving the game. I was so impressed with the Clippers overall because we have seen them uh, have their, I guess, mental wherewithal, their their Mm -hmm. toughness, all these things questioned, and in these playoffs – They have been everything but that, right? They've been resilient. They have been scrappy. They have had answers for everything. They're playing without Kawhi Leonard, uh, who is easily their best player. But Paul George stepping up in a very major way. Uh, And and overall, the Clippers just, you know, being scrappy, getting huge points from Reggie Jackson in that fourth quarter, getting, like like I said, what Marcus Morris was able to do. I mean, there's nights where Marcus Morris, you just, he makes you scratch your head. But tonight was just one of those nights where, you know, he was the second coming of Carmelo Anthony, basically. Uh, the Suns got the game to within four midway through the fourth quarter. Um, right. And they actually briefly took the lead at the opening minutes of the third quarter. Right. The Suns pull away or, or the Clippers pull away again. The Suns get it back to within four after they were down by as many as 13. And and the Clippers just they don't blink. Right. They like Paul George checks back in. They go on one more run and then they put the game away and down three one. In Phoenix, against uh, in front of a, a crowd that I thought outside of Atlanta was probably the best crowd in these playoffs, and right. at times was the best crowd in these playoffs, they didn't let the Phoenix crowd get going. They were not involved in the game. Devin Booker had a great game, 31 points. I didn't think Phoenix played poorly. I just thought I, I thought the Clippers just made the right point, the, the right plays at the right time, and got yeah. the right contributions from the right players. Yeah, it sounds overly simplistic, but it changed the course of the game. Like those moments were so opportunistic and they took advantage of those, whether it was a a big bucket or getting to the line or just a rebound or a stop at a key moment of the game that really seemed to just shift and build momentum in their favor. And then by the like the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter, they got a big play from Paul George, another one from Reggie Jackson. It was just back-to-back big-time shots, and then by that point, Phoenix just didn't seem to have an answer for them. It was clear that they were tired, even when they were clearly energized by their court early on, and they were able to continue making these runs. Look, I mean, the flow of the game kind of takes that the, the whole narrative away from it, but the Clippers built a big lead early on. Phoenix had to come back. The Clippers kept distancing 
asking themselves whether it was a big bucket from DeMarcus Cousins or Morris, as you mentioned, or Jackson or somebody else, especially in the first half. And then the second half, they came back, like you said, take the lead, and the Clippers just said, okay, we'll keep pushing away. We'll keep finding a way to create a, just enough of a cushion that you can't come back from. And that was the moment there where it just, it seems to break the suns. They just never could do enough. And, and look, I mean, they did make mistakes too. You did mention that Phoenix played an overall great game. I agree with you, but there was a foul here, uh, a flop here, just moments like that over the course of the fourth quarter in particular, that just seemed like it really took out what, what got them here in the first place. They just weren't, they, it seemed like they were less interested in making big shots or even getting the right shot rather than just trying to get a foul call in their favor. And, and that kind of seemed to like wear on them. And the Clippers, to their credit, seemed to build momentum off of those mistakes. Yeah, I didn't love the game that Phoenix played overall. It just felt like you said, like they were settling for maybe trying to draw foul calls. I thought that they weren't go- aggressive enough, uh, mm-hmm. specifically trying to get the ball to DeAndre Ayton, who... Had one of his, you know, he, he just was not much Quieter of a factor. Games. Yeah, right. a quiet game. Uh, 10 points, 11 rebounds. Um, you know, not the DeAndre Ayton that we've gotten accustomed to seeing in this postseason. But, um, you know, the Clippers give them credit. They they And give Ty Lue a lot of credit. I thought he coached a great game where, you know, they play, They came out in zone. They, they got, I thought, the Suns off uh, their rhythm a little bit. They started small yeah. with Nick Batum. They they no Ivaka Zubac in this game. It's worth noting. That's right. So they start small with Batum, and then they kind of get these weird lineups. I I think that Ty Lue, uh kind of looked ahead the right way, right? He, I think he assumed that hey, the Suns are going to try to beat us going big this whole time. And so what does he do? He brings Demarcus Cousins not in the starting lineup, but off the bench in those minutes that DeAndre Ayton isn't in there. And in the second quarter, there was some key possessions. I thought it was there was like four straight possessions. Ayton's on the bench. They go with uh, Dario Saric as that small ball, you know, fill-in backup center. And Cousins yeah. just goes right at him for three or four they straight did. possessions and scores on three or four straight possessions. I thought that was a huge difference uh, in the game. It was not not just that series, but series like that, right? Like that spurt from Cousins, the spurt from Reggie Jackson, the spurt from Marcus Morris here and there. And then, of course, the 30 points from Paul George in that second half. And then with the Suns. You know, I just thought that there were so many opportunities for them to find DeAndre Ayton with a lob instead of settling for those mid-range shots. I thought the Clippers did a really good job of picking their spots, playing mismatch basketball, where the Suns just sort of stuck to what it is that they want to do, which is just run high pick and roll over and over again and just hope that Chris Paul and Devin Booker make those mid-range looks. And by the way, they made a bunch of them, but I, I just didn't think that they played mismatch basketball as effectively as the Clippers did. That was obviously a, a, a point of emphasis for Ty Lue's group. Yeah, Beverly did a fantastic job. I don't think you mentioned him, but Patrick no, Beverly's defense in the perimeter was just really, really solid. Did and you think that I mean, was a uh, flagrant? Uh, I did not, no. Uh, I, I think it's just, uh, I mean, to, to our listeners that aren't, uh, you know, or didn't watch the game, it seemed like he undercut Chris Paul, who totally flailed his legs a little bit. And I think part of it is it was unnecessary. He also looked like he lost his balance a little bit. And I think a big part of it was also just Patrick Beverly and the reputation that he's earned. I mean, you can't take yeah. that away from him. He, he'll probably own up, own it more than anybody else. But I, I don't think it was a flagrant call. I, I mean, a flagrant fall, rather. I, yeah, I, think it was... I, I could have gone either way because he kind of it's hard to see like where the momentum was carrying him because he kind of dove. Mm-hmm. Like head first, yeah. you can't tell if that was because of the momentum from being pushed on the screen or what it was. But I can tell you this: like, I don't know if it was a flagrant or not, but I do know him just being generally an asshole after that did <laughs> yeah. not do him any favors, right? right. I mean, him taunting right. him, mocking and, Paul, and yeah, <laughs> mocking Chris Paul's movements and stuff. Like Chris Paul was in pain. Like I don't, 
if Chris Paul flopped, he may have flopped, but the result of the flop was him being maybe injured and, yeah. and costing the Suns the series with whatever right. that was. Eventually um, season, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't yeah, <laughs> I don't know if Beverly uh meant of to to lunge the way that he lunged. I don't know if Chris Paul was really flopping. I don't know. I just do know that Patrick Beverly looked like a real asshole. And I think the ref saw that and said, you know what? You get a flagrant for that, bud. That's how that works. Yeah. Um, yeah, good call. I mean, I just, I, I'm glad you pointed out eight and two, because it seemed like not only were they not actively going to, they were settling for jump shots and things of that sort, but it also seemed like even when he had the opportunity to get his hands on the ball, he couldn't, I, I don't know if he's injured or something like that, or or maybe it was just the, the smaller players kind of obstructing his clear view or ability to grab a rebound, but he seemed like he had somewhat buttery hands there uh, through most of the second half in particular, when they needed him to pull down a board, even if it was just a defensive board or something like that, or create an opportunity at the rim, just couldn't seem to get any kind of momentum. And again, just the ball seemed to slip through his hands on yeah. multiple occasions. It must have been frustrating for Suns fans. Yeah, I just he never got in a rhythm either. There, I remember yep. one play in particular where Devin Booker, it looked like he he missed this shot like wide to the right. I actually thought that he was trying to get the ball on the roll to DeAndre Ayton, but Ayton had no idea. He was like, oh, now you want to throw a lob my way? Like, I had no idea that we were doing that today. And right. and he just didn't even go for the, the lob. And it was just everything was out of sorts. Everything was out of rhythm. As far as adjustments going into L.A., for this next game, look, the, the Clippers, I think, have the momentum. Um, Paul George is playing out of his mind. You know what's funny is that everybody keeps talking about how Devin Booker has absolutely ascended and that Paul George, we're still not quite giving him credit, even though he's been awesome in these in these playoffs. But Paul George and Devin Booker, their stats are basically identical throughout this postseason. I just thought that was worth pointing out from a points per game and assists per game and a shooting percentages standpoint. Yeah. Um, if we're going to look at Devin Booker one way and Paul George one way, we should probably – um, reconcile that and, yeah. and kind of judge them accordingly. But um, as far as adjustments for the Suns, because this is how it is, right? The losing team has to, is on the hook for the adjustments. Uh, I do think that they need to figure out a, an answer for this small ball. Like Zubac being out, I think was almost like a blessing in disguise for the Clippers because they were forced to make some real uh, dramatic changes. And, and the Suns, I don't think, had the answer. Not only offensively the way that we've talked about with DeAndre Ayton, but defensively, Ayton was guarding Batum on a lot of those those lineups he's dragged out to the perimeter he's just not in the plays defensively anymore paul george is getting to the rim reggie jackson is getting to the rim for dunks in the fourth quarter and things like that they need to figure out a way to get deandre and not just involved offensively again but most certainly defensively and he needs to be a, a presence by the basket regardless of what lineups the clippers put out there i think um, yeah those sharich minutes were brutal there i, I mean were. not 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 a good look for him uh he was still a, a plus eight on the plus minus i can't believe that's the case but I guess credit to everybody else. I mean, Cam Johnson, I think, had a big game. Maybe they were playing together just enough or his shooting was a, a huge difference maker there. But maybe it's maybe he's the kind of guy who can get there and and, and challenge uh, the Clippers a little bit more because, he, I mean, he, he's got at least a big body out there because nobody else was doing much defensively. It's time for the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And in sports, if you think joy only happens when you win, think again. Look at the world's most successful athletes. They don't spend all of their days grinding away. They take the time to enjoy themselves, like having a Michelob Ultra with friends, because they know that happiness is the key to winning and not just the end game, but the whole game. And David, I think our Michelob Ultra player of the week has to be DeMarcus Cousins. Look, I know Paul George had a great game. He's been awesome. We talk about Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, but Paul George, or, or I'm sorry, if DeMarcus Cousins, 15 points in 11 minutes, also had three assists, two rebounds. One of those assists was like a behind the back uh, cut to yeah. Batum. It was just awesome. Like not, not the DeMarcus Cousins of old, but in, in those flashes, in those moments, you tend, you just see it. You see what he used to be, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. And it's just 
it was just really cool to see DeMarcus. It's been such a long, weird, winding road for him since his, yeah. his all-NBA type of days in Sacramento. So to see him contributing really meaningful, helpful minutes. He was a plus six in those 11 minutes. That's an insane number, David. It, it was just really cool to see. Absolutely. I mean, look, the fact is that we'll never get that version of DeMarcus. I think that athleticism and explosive ability is just sapped, but he's still the big body out there. He's still an uber skilled big man that can just do so much. And you can tell when he's shooting the ball, when he's scoring inside, when he's calling for the ball in the low post against a guy like Sharich, you can see how much he enjoys the game. That's the kind of enjoyment that I feel when I'm drinking a nice cold milk low ultra. You know, who can really use a beer is probably Dario Sarich. He could be. <laughs> He can maybe or use seven. like a whole six pack of Michelob. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Michelob Ultra, 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Uh, let's go now to this report by Yahoo Sports' Chris Haynes that Portland's decision to hire Chauncey Billups as coach and then concerns about GM Neil Olshey's ability to improve this roster could drive Damian Lillard away from the Trailblazers. David, there's a lot to get into here. Now we've got yeah. conflicting reports. That This report comes out Sunday night. we yeah. got conflicting reports Monday by ESPN and, and Bleacher Report that says, hey, no, Damian Lillard was on board uh, with the Chauncey Billups hire. I, all I know is this, is that there's nobody closer to Damian Lillard than Chris Haynes, and it would not shock me if, and, and in fact, I expect that this report and Chris Haynes' sources are probably the Damian Lillard himself, right? And so it's yeah. not a surprise that Lillard is now leaking this to Chris Haynes, and this is sort of step one in the superstar playbook of, hey, get me out of here, yeah. right? Uh, where do you think this goes next? It's it's kind of hard to really gauge. Uh, it something about this just doesn't feel quite right. Like of all the things that could have gone wrong over the tenure of of Dame Lillard in Portland, and all the missteps from Neil O'Shea and and the Blazers front office, for him to point out, I don't like the fans mistreating me after I may or may not have had any kind of influence on the head coaching decision making process. That doesn't feel quite right. I mean, maybe it's more of the the, again, the missteps from Olshay and his inability to improve the roster, but why include that other part there? Like, I mean, again, to your point, I think Haynes is as close to Lillard as anybody in the media, and certainly it seems very likely that Lillard was the one leaking that information. But at what point does he say, "Man, I don't like the way the fans are treating me"? Like, I, like I was the one who chose Chauncey Billups when, in fact. What we heard early on, and I think it was from Haynes himself, there were two names that were on that preferred list that seemed to conflict what the Blazers' actual owner wanted for her team, but instead it was Chauncey Billups and Jason Kidd, and Kidd wound up taking his name out of the out of the running, and then they wound up picking Billups anyway, which yeah. was Lillard's guy. And then for Lillard to go well, on I think Twitter... The change, I think the change might have been the fact that he didn't know about the sexual assault allegations That's what he says, from the yeah. late 90s, and, and maybe he was upset with the backlash that and look, I'm not plugged in in Portland. I don't, I'm not on Trailblazers Twitter the way that a lot of people are. And I, so I didn't see this backlash. And also, I wasn't, very, I wasn't on Twitter a whole lot this weekend. But uh, if there was indeed a backlash because of Billups' history, then it would make a little bit more sense if this was Damian Lillard walking it back, right? Hey, I'm out here for Chauncey Billups. He's my guy. Oh, wait, I didn't know this stuff about him. Now let me walk it back and save face a little bit. I, I, I maybe that's part of it here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's possible. But again, if you're facing that backlash, and, and you can always not extend that offer. I mean, the actual report of the finished deal didn't come till a day later when mm-hmm. already was pretty clear that it was Billups' job. I mean, look, it was Billups' job to hold ever since Kid pulled his name out of it. I mean, from everything we heard over at, at Lockdown Blazers, it seemed like Billups was their guy. It was just a matter of time that they went through this process for PR purposes of bringing in Becky Hammond and other you know existing candidates like Mike D'Antoni and others. But in reality, it was Billups' job to lose. He just had to say, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And for a five-year deal, that's an awful lot of security with a guy with very little coaching experience. So, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. It's it's very strange. It, it seems like Lillard might have actual issues with what's going on in Portland, but to use this hiring process as a way out, maybe it kind of covers his tracks a little bit. Maybe it creates like this immediate, you know, a, a good legitimate reason to say, maybe I'm just mm-hmm. not happy here anymore, but... I don't know. To answer your original question, I mean, I guess it kind of feels inevitable, right, that that he's going to ask for a trade. I, I don't know how that process comes about. Like, they have to totally bomb the offseason. I'm not sure what their draft status is. Do they even have a pick in this year's draft? Um, and then aside from that, maybe if they can't lure a free agent, can't make a big trade for somebody, I guess – I guess he's kind of asking for a significant trade of some kind because I think that's the only other way for a clear improvement of this roster. So I guess you could see the end of you know CJ McCollum's tenure in Portland one way or the other. I mean, we've never heard of any kind of friction between those two players, but maybe it's just clear now at this point after yet another early exit in the playoffs that it's necessary to break up that duo that we thought might be enough to, to help carry them towards a, at least contention in the Western Conference. Yeah, you know, Portland. So to answer your, your question, Portland had the 23rd pick in this draft, but they owe it to Houston as part of some sort of oh, yeah. deal. And and uh, and so not not like you're going to get a huge difference maker at 23. Not certainly not guaranteed there. Um, I, I do think that this is almost the scorched earth type of thing from Damon Lillard saying, hey, I don't like the coach. I don't like the GM. Actually, I don't like anything about this place other than the fans, of <laughs> course. Uh, get Apparently me. He doesn't like them either. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, and look. Chauncey Billups. He could be the second coming of Greg Popovich. I don't know what you're doing with this roster, right? I mean, right. Neil Olshey came out at the Terry end of the Sots season. Terry Sots was a fine coach too, right? I mean, yeah, right. It's not like Terry Sots was a bad coach. And, and and I don't, again, was not the second coming of Greg Popovich, but I thought he did a fine job, got that team to the Western Conference Finals a few years ago. But, you know, if you're Neil Olshey, you've basically, you know, played with all of the money that you have. You've used all of your resources. You, you've traded away first-round picks, evidently. Uh, I don't know how you improve this roster. And he basically said that he basically said at the end of the season, whoever we bring in is going to have to make do with what we have. And you're going to take the 29th ranked defense in the league and make that better somehow, even though our backcourt has clearly not worked for several years and everybody on the planet, except for apparently Neil Olshey recognizes that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, while two individually, very, very good players, Damian Lillard of MVP type of player, that backcourt pairing is problematic and it's not rocket science to figure it out. Now, I don't know what Neil Olshey can do. There has been talks about, Hey, maybe you swap CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons, but I think it's going to take much more than just CJ McCollum to get Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is much younger, half a decade, younger, a lot more upside, uh, a lot more, I think value overall. And, you know, on the trade market than a guy like CJ McCollum does have. So what sort of assets do you have to attach to CJ McCollum? in order to land a guy like Ben Simmons and is landing a guy like Ben Simmons enough to keep Damian Lillard around. And let's remember, you have no draft pick in this first round. Who know you, you basically have no cap space in free agency. You're basically left with a mid-level exception veteran minimums. We'll see, and maybe trading CJ McCollum 
or even like a use of Nurkic or something like that. Like you could try to make some sort of moves, but it, it just strikes me that the most they could do is just sort of move the deck chairs around a little bit and then just hope that it looks better to Damian Lillard. And if it doesn't, it, he doesn't have to get traded over the offseason, right? You could play a week in Portland and say, hey, this is not going well, right? If right. Portland can come out and lose, you know, three of the first five games and he's like, you know what? Get me out of here. And he could pull like what James Harden did and play a week or two and then just get the hell out of Portland. Uh, I, I that, do wonder if that's if it's not it, it just it strikes me if it's not now, it, it's probably at some point later. The one thing that does muck all of this up, if you're Damian Lillard and you want to demand a trade, you just signed an extension and you you still have three years left on this extension. So you don't have as much power as a lot of other right. superstars who have found themselves in similar situations have had. Right. You could do the Jimmy Butler. You could do the James Harden and just make everybody's lives miserable. But I just I have a hard time seeing Damian Lillard go that far. Right. I, I think that he would demand a trade despite this branded loyalty that he has. I think he would ask for a trade and get out of there. I just have a hard time seeing him go that far and, and, and cause that much of an issue uh, just to get out. Would that be like the quickest 180 from a fan response in, in NBA history? Of no, I mean, LeBron loving was, a I mean. player. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, LeBron 2010 to LeBron late 2010 was not quite the same response in Cleveland. Yeah, but second, point. second runner up to LeBron, I think that would be that if Damian Lillard did that. I mean, it's a good point, and I don't think Lillard wants to do that. So it would have to be a good faith agreement, right? It would have to be a good faith thing from Neil Olshi and ownership. Obviously, I mean, when in a trade like that, everybody's got to sign off. I actually have a feeling that Trailblazers fans after all of this would be like, you know what? We under we don't, we're not rooting for Lillard to leave, but we understand if he wants out. Mm. Um, and I, I just, you know, if you're, I, I guess if you're, if you're Portland in this situation, you you do, you look at this and you're like, hey, we're boxed to a corner. Maybe we, we are better off just rebuilding this thing. Right. And depending on what you can get back for Damian Lillard, you can make the argument that the front office should try to rebuild this thing. I mean, I know that you'll probably never come across a player as good as Damian Lillard again, but you can also, like, if you're really looking at this roster realistically and you ask yourself, can we win a title with Damian Lillard? I think the answer has to be no. Like, I don't know how you get out of this. You try over the offseason. You see if you can make uh, some sort of deal. But short of that, it just feels like we're, we're going we're to get to a point where they are almost forced to trade Lillard. No, I almost hate to ask, but knowing what you do, did you come up with any hypotheticals yet, or, or is it too early still for Lillard tr- hypothetical trades? Yeah, yeah, it's too early. I, I haven't done any fake trade ideas. I actually haven't gotten at the trade machine at all with Damian Lillard. I'm c- totally kidding. You know that. I have several fake trades ready to go. The obvious one is Philadelphia. I think the, the Sixers would say, hey, you know what? We're not all that interested in C.J. McCollum, but we would give you Ben Simmons or Damian Lillard, and then Portland would laugh <laughs> and say, no, how about C.J. McCollum? And then the Sixers would yeah. be like, ah, we don't love that. And then they would hang up. Um, Boston, you know, this is kind of all the Ben Simmons stuff that we were talking about, but obviously if Lillard were available, it's just, it's, it's kind of those core players. And then like a whole bunch of more stuff than you wouldn't, that that you wouldn't get if you were trading Ben Simmons, but Boston, if they were to put Jalen Brown on the table, that would be interesting. I think if you're Portland, you know, uh, and and it would be kind of ironic too, because Jalen Brown would be like the perfect guy to have next to Damian Lillard. Um, yeah. Uh, Zach Lowe floated this one on his podcast. I thought it was really interesting. If Denver just said, you know what? Let's go all in. Jamal Murray and other stuff. Right. Damian Lillard. I love that trade idea. I love that Absolutely. for Denver even more than yeah. Portland. I think that teams tend to fall in love with their own guys maybe a little bit too much. Um, like, look, I love Jamal Murray. I'm a big Jamal Murray fan. 
but his best case scenario is being Damian Lillard and Nikola Jokic just won MVP. So if you can do Lillard and Jokic, that suddenly elevates you into a whole different tier. Uh, if you're the Nuggets, um, the one that's interesting I, to me. Oh, go ahead. I saw one. I know I saw one from uh, to Toronto by Rowan Nodkarni of Sports Illustrated. He floated one with Fred Van Vliet being as the core piece there. Uh, Van Vliet and I think uh, oh, Chris Boucher as an insurance plan for a center in case Nurkic forces his way out or something like that. And the um, yeah, yeah. And the I don't, too, I don't so. hate that. If you're Portland, you got an opportunity at Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green plus Van Vliet plus a nice piece in Boucher. It's not yeah. bad, right? Right, and that's the kind and of thing for, you're and for, for Toronto. For Portland. Yeah, and for Toronto, they're like back in contention right away right. in the Eastern Conference. You could even re-sign Kyle Lowry at that point, and that would be an ideal fit with Damian Lillard. Um, you know, the obvious names, the teams that are always in the in the mentioned with big names, Miami. I just don't think the lack of first round picks gets you to where you want to be. Even Tyler Hero, Duncan, you could throw all those kinds of guys in there. I'm not sure that gets you there. The only way I see Damian Lillard getting to Bam. Miami is if he's like, send me to Miami. I don't care. Um, but again, with three years on extension, yeah, it would. And I don't know that if you're Miami, you do that, right? Because that kind of defeats the point. Like, I think you just you hold and just hope that you can get a different guy, probably not as good as Damian Lillard, but you can at least still form a big three. Yeah, I, I mean, a little. You mentioned this uh, recently when we talked on Locked On Heat, but I mean, Lillard would be a great fit there. But I, I just think it's one of those trades that seems better in concept than in actual reality. I just don't see any way Miami can pull it off. New Orleans is another team I've heard they've. That's got the one the I assets. love. That's the one I love because you have all the first round picks from that Anthony Davis trade uh, or most of them. Um, you could put Brandon Ingram. You could do a sign and trade with Lonzo Ball. You could put those guys on the table, send them to Portland and all those first round picks that you still have a bunch of future firsts. I love that for Portland because you're getting a guy in Brandon Ingram who probably not your number one, but a really good young player, a blue chip type of player. You're getting Lonzo Ball to backfill Damian Lillard at point guard. Uh, you, you could play him next to CJ McCollum, at least theoretically. Uh, you're filling out the wing with Ingram, and then you get all these first-round picks to rebuild with. Uh, maybe you could throw a few unwanted salaries to New Orleans and get some expirings and things like that back. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love That's my favorite trade because now you get Damian Lillard and Zion Williamson together. Right. That's exciting. I mean, that's just good for the NBA. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I like that possibility. I, I was thinking whether or not the <laughs> coaching absence in New Orleans would be a problem. But we even saw in Cleveland when LeBron went back there in 2014, they had no idea what that roster was going to be like, and they still brought in David Blatt anyway, who thought he was going to take over a, a rebuilding team and not quite so – it didn't work out quite that way when they added LeBron, Kevin Love, and uh, you could do that. a few you, other players. You can use that to sell Damian Lillard, right? Hey, we'll trade for you. We'll, we'll do all the stuff, and then you name your coach. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Right. Um, the only, the only other one worth mentioning was golden state, uh, Andrew Wiggins, the seventh pick and the 14th pick, uh, for Damian Lillard. I still, I don't think that's enough. And you probably throw James Wiseman in there. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that that's enough. If you're Portland, Uh, the seventh pick is fine, but it's not as good as like the fourth pick from Toronto. I don't know how stoked you are to, to put $30 million of Andrew Wiggins on your books. If you're trying to rebuild, um, the 14th pick is just sort of. It doesn't do much for me. It really kind of, I guess, comes curing, down to what Portland thinks of Wiseman. What would the Curry-Lillard pairing even be like? They would score a lot of points. And that's the thing on Locked on Warriors that <laughs> I fun, are... Right? I actually have Warriors fans telling me, oh, no, we can't do that. We wouldn't be able, we would, we wouldn't be able to play defense. I don't, you don't need to play defense. You've got Steph Curry and Damian Lillard. What, what are we talking about? Like, if you're, if you're a Warriors fan and you are so spoiled by the Kevin Durant perfect fit basketball yeah. Nirvana years... 
that you can't see that, that you can't actually want Damian Lillard if he were knocking on the door and wanting to come in and you're just turning him away. That to me is insane. Like you just do it and you figure out the other stuff later. I mean, if you can get Lillard and Curry on one team, you just do it. Uh, but I, I just don't, I don't know that I, that's enough of a rebuild package for the trailblazers to be really excited about it, especially if these other kind of deals are end up being on the table. And for a guy like Lillard, you can imagine all these things and more will be on the table, right? I mean, I can't imagine that Boston even wouldn't put Jalen Brown on the table for Lillard. So, um, all right. We look ahead to the keys to tonight's game between the Bucks and the Hawks next. But first, David, tell the listeners about Bet Online. Well, if anybody wants to go on there and bet on where Lillard will be playing next, Bet Online is the best place to do it because it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all the action over at Bet Online, but there's tons of sports action with the start of the new WNBA season, the NBA playoffs, the course, the NHL, and so much more. Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and so much more. Don't sit on the sidelines. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs or the finals. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, they're your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code locked on. But one thing isn't a gamble, and that's using rockauto.com with an ever increasing number of makes and models. You can't find the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. So, why bother going there, having somebody behind a counter order parts on their computer when you've got access to a computer at home or in your pocket? You've got access to rockauto.com, a family owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for two decades. You can choose from hundreds of manufacturers on their easy to use site, and you get everything you need with just a few easy clicks delivered directly and safely to your door. Rockauto.com's low prices are the same for everybody so go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car or truck then go to the section that says how'd you hear about us and write the phrase locked on so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need that's rockauto.com starting july 19th check out the ultimate mock draft 2021 podcast presented by locked on and odyssey featuring analysis from the goat of nba mock drafts chad ford and Odyssey NBA experts Brian Scalabrini and former general manager Ryan McDonough, our locked-on NBA local experts will make selections and trades for your favorite basketball teams throughout this week-long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all of the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Hawks-Bucks game four is tonight, David, but Atlanta down 2-1. Could be without Trey Young, who is questionable with a sprained right ankle after suffering the injury in the third quarter of Sunday's loss. Uh, he had an MRI on Monday. If Young is out for this entire series, the Hawks obviously don't have a chance. But can they even sustain him missing one game? You know, mathematically, yes. Uh, somebody could step up. I mean, if NBA history has shown anything is that you always can get an unexpected performance from somebody. A Bogdanovich or a Collins could have a monster game, even a herder, as we saw in the earlier matchup against Philadelphia the previous round. But still, I, I just... It seems like so much pressure has been put on Young to help carry this team. And I said it in last week's show that I thought he was the X factor for the Hawks, and that kind of proved correct. In the one game they won, he had to have a monster performance because you just can't rely on guys like Collins or Herter or Bogdanovich or Gallinari to be what, what sets a team as talented and as deep and as playing with such rhythm as the Bucks are, you need somebody who can just be so ignitable, so combustible that throws everything defensively off whack there. So I think 
I don't think they have a chance really uh, for even for one game because they might get a performance. It's a very small chance. Like I said, uh, somebody would have to step up. I look I, from everything we've heard. It seems like young is likely to play, but I, I don't know. It's just going to be tough. He has to have a monster performance. Maybe he can provide that kind of inspirational boost and, and maybe somebody else finds a way to step up. Uh, it just seems a lot less likely. And, and look, Conversely, even as I'm saying this, the Hawks should feel somewhat encouraged. They did with, you know, they were able to sustain the young injury in game three, and they were still pretty evenly, you know, they were evenly matched up for the Bucks throughout most of the fourth. It took a huge performance from Chris Middleton. Maybe they have just enough to get to eke out a very slim victory, even without young in that lineup. It just seems pretty unlikely to me. What do you think? Uh, I don't even know if you put Trey Young back in and healthy that the Hawks win right. this series, right? I just, um, with the way that the Bucks are playing right now, let's, they have an opportunity now to go up 3-1. I feel like Giannis has really sort of settled into a role where he's comfortable, right? He's, I love the Hawks, you know, counting chant. I think that's great when Giannis is the line. It's one of the all-time best chants I've ever seen. Um, you know, great chemistry, Throughout the entire Atlanta fan fan crowd, I mean, that's it's just great stuff, hilarious stuff. But it's not really hurting Giannis at all, at all in this series. He's actually no. shot quite well from the free throw line, and yeah. he's settled now into this role of, hey, I dominate from the first to the third quarter, and then I basically hand it off to Chris Middleton, who outscored the Hawks as a team in the fourth quarter of that last game. The good news for Atlanta, I suppose, is that Trey Young did come back to play on that bum ankle at the end of the fourth quarter, even though he was clearly hobbled and slowed by it. He at least showed that he could play on it. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, things like that swell the next day and they actually tend to get worse and, and not better, but with a game, you know, with a, with a day in between, we'll see what it looks like on a Tuesday night. But uh, even if he does play, I just think that the bucks have just sort of figured it out. And I don't know that the, I think that there are things the Hawks can do, right? Uh, they, they kind of, they haven't been very good at building the wall in front of Giannis. And before this series started, I was talking to you here on the show and, and I said, you know, the lineup that I love for Atlanta is that big lineup when they go with uh, Capella, John Collins and Gallinari. And in game one, that lineup really worked really well. And then Milwaukee basically busted it because Middleton has been playing so well. And, and when you put that lineup out there, it ends up, you end up with either Gallinari or John Collins on Middleton and, and Middleton is just, he's, he's, he's cooked those guys, right? Like he's just done a really good job in this series He's been one of the best fourth quarter scorers in the conference finals. Uh, and if so, when you got him going, Drew Holiday just playing his two-way game the way that he always does. And then and then Giannis, you know, making enough shots at the line where you can't just hack him, uh, doing all the things that he does defensively, dominating and making his presence felt. They the Hawks haven't been able to take advantage of that spin move and, and stripping the ball the way that we've seen the other two teams that the, the Bucs have faced be able to do. Um maybe. Nate McMillan has another ace up his sleeve. Maybe they scouted a little bit better. Maybe there's some lineup configurations that he can do, but if Trey young isn't playing or if he's hobbled and he's not as slippery and he's not as swaggy as he was, then I don't see how Atlanta gets back in this series or even wins another game in this series. The way Milwaukee has just sort of figured things out. Now we have seen Middleton not play this well. I mean, what he did in the, fourth quarter in game three was a monstrous performance it's not that he's incapable of doing it again but we've also seen the inverse where he just he winds up struggling really badly and can't hit a shot in the fourth so while that doesn't seem quite as likely if that does happen if whatever if they do wind up going to Middleton as their savior in the fourth and he's not able to save them 
maybe that gives just enough of a space for Atlanta to crawl through. Look, this is their best chance. It's all or nothing. If they don't win game four, they're done because they go back into Milwaukee with a good chance to close out the series. And that's likely what they'll do. So they have to give their incredible effort. This is as good as it's going to get for them. They have one last chance to prove it. So I can understand why a guy like young will go out there. And yes, even if he's not as, as swaggy or, or shimmy, like, you know, if he doesn't throw that shimmy out there as frequently as he does, he, at least he'll, He's still the X factor, right? He can still create some mismatches there. He can still do something, maybe using his incredible passing to get everybody going, as we've seen him do throughout the playoffs. So it's it's a potential there. It's just it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. That'll do it for us today. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on NBA wherever you listen to podcasts for 30 minutes of the NBA's top stories every day. David and I will be here next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can find me over at Locked on Warriors. David is over at Locked on Heat. Enjoy your day. Thanks for listening.